Hello folks, welcome to Switch It, the podcast which won't go on forever. Yes, it's mucking out time around the stables of English cricket, but have they really sent a couple of old war horses to the knacker's yard? The men's ashes claimed more than the expected pound of flesh, with the absence of James Anderson and Stuart Broad from the Tortue West Indies claiming the headlines. Not for the first time, the ECV is betting the house on Strauss, with Sir Andrew quick to get his hands dirty in the role of interim director of men's cricket. It doesn't get much better if you look elsewhere, with England well beaten in the women's ashes too. And while the young Lions may have lifted spirits by reaching the under-19 World Cup final, they still fell short of lifting the trophy after coming off second best against India in Antigua. Lots to get stuck into on a fresh February afternoon then. And joining me for that purpose today are ESPN Cricket Info UK editor, Andrew Miller, who did win a prize at the weekend, even if he wasn't quite top dog. And general editor Valkyrie Baines, whose uncompromising high standards and Aussie twang mean she's already 18 to 1 to be England men's next coach. Hello, both. Uh, good to see you. Miller, I guess I should start by complimenting you on your coat and ask if you'd like a run around in the garden. Well, thank you very much. Yes, I am proud, uh, the proud uh, winner of second prize in Hackney's best look like his dog competition. Um, <laughs> I've since had a haircut, so I look less like my dog than I did yesterday. But um, there you go. Um, it, it's, it's a very proud moment. I'd like to thank my family for this opportunity. And um, yeah, I look forward to going uh, one better next time. <laughs> well, I've always thought you were a very good boy. Um, they, they say a week is a long time in politics. Um, ECB bloodletting has put Downing Street to shame, um, which is at least distracted from the cricket, I suppose, with England having lost the Women's Ashes, a men's T20I series in the Caribbean and an under-19 World Cup final since we last got together. Yeah, haven't they just? I mean, God, it's, it's been, it's been a, an extraordinary week. I mean, you know, I thought, I thought three days of bloodletting might be sufficient with Ashley Giles one day, then Chris Silver the next, then Graham Thorpe next, and then the bombshell that Broaden Anderson have been binned for the Caribbean. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's, it, it is very reminiscent of what happened after 2015, the um, famous white ball reset when, when England realised that finally they, their standards in, in one-day cricket were so low that they had to rip it up and start again. Um, we've reached a similar point. And ironically, the, the, the two men, well, Strauss being the common theme as the, the director of cricket who came in at that time, but the two men who paid the price in the white ball side were Broad and Anderson, of course. They never played again after that World Cup and um, that didn't end up too badly. So it seems that Andrew Strauss is betting on the, a similar remedy. I'm not convinced it's going to be quite so simple, um, to put it mildly, but I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty. But there's, a, there's no question it's been a momentous week. Indeed it has. Um, Valkyrie, good to have you on. Any um, successes in sort of local uh, vegetable growing competitions to report around your way? <laughs> Thank you. No, uh, no, I wish there was. But no, I, I can't top um, second uh, second place in uh, Looky Lucky Benji, who is very, very handsome, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's one but, way um... to, to uh, stay on the right side of the boss there. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah, what what a week it's been. And I guess, you know, the the headline with um, Broaden Anderson sort of to, to begin with, I think it's really interesting in that uh, they've left out their two best bowlers for this test tour to the Caribbean. Um, you know, Strauss came out and sort of said, well, you know, it's, it's not the end of the road for them. And, you know, we want to give some other guys a run and see how they step up and so on and so forth. And I guess, you know, he, he didn't speak until 24 hours after the, the news had dropped. So he had sort of time to cover all bases, I think, in terms of, you know, 
how the news went down. But I think it, it does beg the question how they view this tour to the West Indies and, and how they view the West Indies as a competition. And he did address that in that he said, look, we think we've chosen a side to win in the West Indies. However, we have to have half an eye on, on the future. And I do think, you know, if you you leave out your two guys who actually performed quite well in a very dismal Ashes series heading to the West Indies, is that really saying that you're taking them seriously as a, a competition or you're just wanting to, you know, build from the bottom up and using it as a, as a place to do so? I mean, England, of course, have been having half an eye on the future since uh, Andrew Strauss's last summer as England captain when uh, I think 2012 uh, Edgbaston test against West Indies, they left Broad and Anson out to see how things would go with some of the other guys. Um, I don't think any of the other players in that attack are still playing. Uh, certainly Graham Onions, Stephen Finn um, aren't going to be pulling on uh, Test Whites anytime soon. Um, Valkyrie, we, we didn't make you stay up through the night for the Women's Ashes games. There were um, at least one or two vaguely competitive outings there, but uh, results did end up largely similar to the men. Yeah, indeed. It was... Um, it was difficult to begin with I think because um you know England started out really well that first innings of that first T20 and you know there was a bit of a buzz about about you know about them and oh god goodness you know can they take it to the Aussies here and they sort of have this mantra before every series that they're going to punch first and be ruthless and that's sort of what they're aiming to do and it sort of they did go out and punch first but then um Australia came back and just sort of went one, two, put them on the canvas and they stayed there for the rest of the series, really. And, you know, Tali McGrath in that particular instance with um, with ball and then bat um, and then she just sort of continued that vein throughout the series um, during the the T20s, Elise Perry didn't even feature. And then by the end of the one day, which was probably you could suggest the end game going into a, a Women's World Cup very shortly, Elise Perry's back to, you know, nearly her best and, you know, absolutely dominating. So it really is difficult to see, um, one, who beats Australia in this Women's World Cup and, two, how England lift themselves. And I know, you know, they'll make all the right noises about having to and parking the ashes and they will have been through all sorts of processes in which to do that. Um, but, yes, they they were competitive. I mean, to sort of save that test match or, you know, turn it into a draw was, you know, incredible um, and, you know, a wonderful advertisement for for that particular game. But, um, yeah, they, they were just outplayed really and how they sort of lift themselves up going into a, uh, a Women's World Cup coming up very shortly. It's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, uh, as with uh, as ever with cricket, there's always something else to move on to. Um, the Women's World Cup starting in a few weeks' time in New Zealand. Um, so park the ashes, move on. Uh, we'll always have that test match for Nali, though that was um, something special. Let's start with the um, the top lines after a busy few days for the ECB HR department. Then um, after a post-Ashes review, both Ashley Giles and Chris Silver lost their jobs as managing director uh, of England men's cricket and England head coach, respectively. Graham Thorpe was also ousted for the batter's failures in Australia rather than another victim of Partygate. Paul Collingwood has taken temporary charge with Joe Root staying on as captain. Uh, and then there was a small matter of the test squad announcement with 1,177 wickets left in the departure lounge. Uh, Miller, we, we, we were going to record this podcast a couple of days ago and then the ECB started pushing back the deadline for the squad announcement. Um, the tea leaves were suggesting, you know, one or two 
high profile names might be missing. We weren't expecting both, uh, along with several other um, Ashes casualties, uh, it has to be said. Yes, indeed. I think the first real inkling that we got was the fact that Andrew Strauss was going to speak in person on the Wednesday. It's like, you know, usually for a, for a bog standard squad announcement, especially after the week we'd already had with Strauss and Harrison fronting up at Lords earlier in the week, it's like um, there must be something afoot here because usually you could just you could just whack out a few glib quotes in the press release and maybe do a Zoom call to justify a few new caps, etc. Uh, but this this um, this was a little bit more dramatic. Um, look, I I have I'm in I'm in two minds about it. To be perfectly honest, I think there are obviously two ways that England could have gone in the aftermath of of the Ashes. The Ashes is the end game for English cricket. Whether you like that or not, that is a fact. It's the, it's the one tournament that attracts attention regardless of of merit, and uh, therefore. What you could do after an Ashes is either say, right, sorry, fellas, you, you may still be our best bowlers technically, but you are 39 and 35. See ya. Thanks very much. Or you double down, as I said last week, double down. I suggested maybe even make Stuart Broad captain. I, I still stand by that as a notion in that either you go one way and say, thanks, let's, let's move on and see what else we've got. Or you double down and say, right, you're still the best we've got. Show us everything you've got. I'm, I appreciate the fact that Andrew Strauss has gone down a route because the worst thing they could do is just is just kick the can, not make any changes, go out there with Joe Root as captain again, go out there with a with a you know skeleton st staff. You know Paul Collingwood is fine. Maybe Paul Collingwood could be the future Test captain, but the Test uh, coach. But realistically, England have got to look a little bit more ambitious. I suspect. You know, look, look at Justin Langer, maybe too ambitious, but uh, but we'll see what comes further down the line. But to not change anything would have been the worst crime that England could possibly do. So I have sympathy with the fact that Strauss has done something. Do I think it's the right thing? I'm not convinced. I think um, there are, uh, first and foremost, the, the rationale of saying that, you know, getting these two out of the building to allow other leaders within the group to grow begs so many questions that um, I, I don't know where to begin, really. Is, is Chris Wokes really um, that marginalised within the setup that, that you, know, you know, after proving once again that, you know, for all that he's an outstanding cricketer and a multi-format, um, very impressive player, particularly on home soil, you know, he averaged, what was it, 55 uh, this winter with the ball. His overseas average is 52. Is it really going to make that much difference for him to take the new ball in the Caribbean? And, you know, at the age of, what, 32, 33, he's not that much younger than Stuart Broad. Are you really saying that, you know, putting that much faith in Chris Wokes as the attack leader um, alongside Mark Wood, who obviously has, comes, comes out of the ashes with huge credit, unlike anyone else, um, is that really the change that was required? Of all the things that were, that were problematic for England, I think uh, doubling down on, on, a, on a seamer who... I'm afraid has shown yet again that whatever he does on home soil, he doesn't replicate it abroad. Um, I felt that was a weird route to take. Um, I think uh, I think odd odd moment to make that big call was how Mike Afton described it in the Times. Um, and also, again, it, it doesn't it doesn't quite chime with with the Times as well. It's like you know, English cricket are trying to trying to reboot Test cricket, make Test cricket relevant again. Is there really a way to make, make it relevant is to bin off your two greatest fast bowlers in, in one fairly unceremonious data dump? 
uh, I'm not convinced it is. Um, and, and therefore, they'll probably be back. It may be an opportunity to test a few new caps. I'm really looking forward to seeing Saki Mahmood uh, given an outing in test cricket. I, I hope he gets a chance. Uh, he may not, because uh, Mark Wood obviously is the, is the, is the first, first, first man off the, off the rank when it comes to being the, the pace onslaught. Um, but they, they had to try something. I, I just don't know whether this is the right something at this right moment. That's, uh, that's, that's as far as we've probably got. <laughs> well, uh, maybe Andrew Shaw saw, saw something that we didn't in that um, untried attack at the Gabba at Mark Wood, uh, Chris Wokes and, and Holly Robinson had never played together before. Um, and <laughs> here they are. They'll be the senior bowlers uh, in the Caribbean. I mean, Valkyrie, uh, <coughs> uh, Strauss has, uh, well, uh, went at great, to great lengths speaking to the media yesterday to say that this wasn't actually the end of the road for um, Anderson and Broad. Um, one of his quotes, no one's saying that uh, they won't feature this summer and beyond, but my job as director of cricket is to give whoever takes over options from which to pick. Uh, I think this tour, we can learn more about the op options we do have. But sort of as Miller's alluding to there, is this this a bit neither nor really? I mean, it's not it's not bringing down the curtain um, and, it's, and it is leaving the problem for the next coach and, and director to perhaps deal with in about three or four months' time, when presumably Broad and Anson will have shown just how frustrated uh, they are or otherwise. I mean, neither has spoken yet. Um, Stuart Broad was liking tweets in his support uh, the other night, although he seemed to have unliked them, most of them since. Um, but yeah, I mean, is this, does this feel like a big, bold, decisive move from Strauss, or does it just look like that on the surface and we're going to be talking about this for some time to come it is a big move but I agree entirely with Miller in that is it the right one it's the batting that failed in the ashes and you can expect wholesale changes in the batting lineup and they have brought in new batters they have addressed that but to but that's almost been you know overshadowed by you know getting getting rid of Broad and Anderson and if you want to look big picture down the track you know is this the end of the road kind of you know, take that view. Well, having done this, I know that Strauss said, well, you know, it'll be up to the new MD and the new coach to decide whether Stuart Broad and James Anderson play any part in the English summer and beyond. But surely it's going to come down to the pair of them as well a little bit into whether or not they want to be part of it anymore. And, you know, sure, maybe they will be back. I mean, prior to this happening, James Anderson was, you know, talking about how he's, the fittest he's ever felt and he was certainly performing but having you know having had this sort of pushback and Strauss admitted they were disappointed so it's not like he's gone to them and said look we need to give some other guys a go just sort of step back for a bit and they've gone yeah yeah okay no they were disappointed and, and rightfully so having performed you know quite well in Australia and, and been leaders within the group so it is going to come down to them whether or not they want to carry on as well. I mean, it's no secret that, you know, Stuart Broad's, you know, a, a commentator in the making or, you know, a pundit in the making. You heard him speak during the Ashes and sometimes you thought, yeah, he could be the New England Test captain. He could be the New England Test coach, I even thought at one point, the way he was speaking about, you know, I think that was when he was sort of pushing it, it you know, the, the blame back on the batters and what have you. But he spoke frankly and clearly and, you know, just sort of laid it out there and, you know, there may have been other reasons for that, i.e., you know, he's a bowler and, you know, wanting to sort of justify how they had performed. But it was forthright, it was clear, it was that kind of feedback that, you know, elite teams talk about wanting to have from their coaches and what have you. And, and you know, he he just 
he just put it out there and said it as it was. And and so I think, you know, he he will know that he's got, you know, a future elsewhere should he choose to go that way. So some of it's going to come down to them as well. It, it's a bold call and what it means going forward, we're yet to see. I mean, one one thing one thing one thing I would would add to that is that um, the one thing one thing you you can say about this is it is it shakes everyone out of their comfort zone and and there there has been a lot of comfort zone built into English cricket English Test cricket in the last eighteen months and rightly so in many ways because obviously you know the pandemic was was an awful experience for these guys to have to go through a lot of the decisions that were made by Ashley Giles in particular, but obviously with Chris Silverwoods as, as coach, were very much player-led, um, particularly, um, you know, the, the binning off of, of Ed Smith, largely because, you know, Stuart Broad didn't like him. Um, you know, that, that, that was one example. There was the um, decision to allow families to go out to the Ashes, which of course was not extended to the women. Um, so it, it wasn't the case of, uh, this is something that we want for, for all our teams. It was a case of the men that say, we're not gonna go without our wives and children, all aboard you know there, there's been an awful lot of leeway given to the England players and to a degree rightly so but this is a bit of a pushback now this is saying right okay we are at ground zero we've given you a lot of leeway and you've been rubbish and this has been a constant theme of everything that Strauss has said is that really it comes back to players taking responsibility you know the results have not been good enough and it wasn't just the ashes he was referring to he was referring to the whole 12 months he basically laid on the line look you guys have been absolutely appalling We've given you absolutely every opportunity to be as good as you can be in these difficult circumstances. We're going the other way now. And, you know, Alan mentioned, as Valkyrie mentioned, elite uh, uh, coaching just then. And, you know, that raises a spectre of, of Mr. Elite himself, Justin Langer. Um, now, you see what's happened the other side of the world. You've got a situation whereby you've had this, this hard-nosed elite coach who's been cracking the whip on his players during the pandemic. and Ultimately, they've 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 revolted. So look, just bugger off. We don't we don't want you nagging us anymore. But look at the results. Australia have won the World T20. They've absolutely clean sweep the Ashes. They have ended up with a team, regardless of whether they didn't want the whip cracked on them or not. They've ended up with a team that's winning everything. And England have had this slightly lumpen experience of you know you know they're there. It's all right. We'll 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 we'll, we'll look after you because it, it, times are tough. And they got battered left, right, and centre. Um, you know, what, what do you want? Is, it, is this about elite performance or is it not? And therefore, if you're going go, gonna to go down that route of saying, look, everyone, everyone is, is, is responsible here. You've got Joe Root on the one hand. He's been strongly encouraged. I mean, everyone's dressing it up as him, him um, taking, taking it for the team and going to number three. But I bet you he's been encouraged. Look, just front up, get to number three because no one else can bat there. You're the only guys really competent to, of, of holding, up, holding up an end get up there, front up, go dig a little deeper. And so the question has been posed to Broad and Anderson, are you willing to dig a little deeper? Your, your nose is going to be put out of joint here. Do you want to come back? Do you still feel that you are ready to contribute? Do you still see the 2023 Ashes as a realistic opportunity for you to, to win and maybe go out in a blaze of glory? Um, do you even see the next tour in four years' time, Stuart Broad in particular? Do you see that as a, as a potential? If so, suck this up, come back, prove that you're that, that we've done the wrong thing here and start winning because <laughs> you know that fundamentally you know you can, you can pat these two on the back all you like for for their service to english cricket and they will rightly get pat on the back all you like uh, when the time comes but neither of them has won a test match in australia in more than a decade 
Um, they've been they've been complicit in in losing five nil, four nil, four nil. James Anderson was involved in another five nil. The other side of their their one glory. And Stuart Broad actually, you know, for all that he he played played key roles, he he was injured in 2010, and therefore you know he limped out halfway through the England's first victory of those three. So you know their their records in Australia do not stack up, uh, frankly. And so if you you know, it, and again this comes back to what um, Joe Root uh, alluded to after Adelaide this time around. You know the lengths that England were bowling. You know after England get bundled out very heavily beaten in the in that Adelaide test match because their batting fails. The first thing Joe Root majors on is the bowling. He says, look, you guys have not bowled full enough. You guys have not attacked um the the batting in in those moments when the Kookaburra is doing stuff. Um it's he he was implying it's not good enough and you get the sense there's a there is a bit of a, a bit of friction behind the scenes, which again is never a bad thing in an elite sport because you want competing voices and, and people standing up. But too much friction, too much guys who uh, you know, think they know what they they can do best and not quite pulling for the team. You know, here's their opportunity to to suck it up and maybe come back stronger. The classic uh, dressing room divide. I'm sure, by the way, uh, that uh, Justin Langer would say that it was an example of uh, elite mutineering that uh, that went against him uh, down under. Um, on the on the subject of whether uh, Broad and Anderson still want it, it's one of those lesser remembered facts that um, Stuart Broad definitely didn't want to be dropped from the one day side and played again after the 2015 World Cup. Um, he was uh, in, in the ODI team on in South Africa in 15 16, and I remember talking to him about he, he was uh, intent on developing variations and uh, and coming up with ways to to combat uh, you know the uh, batsman emboldened by t20 and all that it didn't really work out but um i'm, I'm sure that uh, the motivation will be there uh, with the red ball as well um valkyrie you sort of touched on the idea that this is bowlers paying for for batters failures there were quite a few batters who've been culled as well from this uh, party uh eight eight people who were involved on the Ashes tour, um, albeit that Don Bess was only peripherally involved, uh, and Sam Billings was uh, a last-minute uh, call-up due to injuries. Um, but Hasib Hamid, Rory Burns, David Milan, and and particularly Joss Butler, um, the, the, the wicketkeeper that Billings replaced, uh, and who is uh, well, now going to be replaced by Ben Folks in the Caribbean. Uh, I mean, there are some some pretty high-profile uh, casualties on on the batting side there as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, and that's where the changes need to needed to come in. And like you say, they have, and it's just been sort of somewhat overshadowed by this whole bowling issue. Um, I think with with the batters, wonder a little bit um, whether Milan was a little bit hard done by. Um, I mean, what he was second best of a not great bunch um, in Australia behind Joe Root. Um, so there's that, whereas, you know, they've decided to, you know, they've, they've plumped for keeping Ollie Pope in there and giving him a bit more of a, an opportunity. Um, Dan Lawrence is, is in, um, so I guess sort of, so that middle order, it looks like they're going to play around a bit um, with there, which which was much needed, um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's just a case of um, yeah, 
it's been overshadowed a little bit by the whole Broad and Anderson thing. And, and, you know, and maybe that's an issue in itself, you know, two big names, two big influences in that team, you know, what was it too much? And, you know, does that drill down into a little bit about what Strauss is talking about and bringing these new guys into, or, or, you know, giving more responsibility to the more senior guys that are left, I, I should say. But, um, but yeah, but batting wise, absolutely. They had to do something. They had to do a lot. Um, and yeah, apart from, you know, perhaps Milan being slightly hard done by um, and, you know, Pope, you know, maybe being able to say, you know, this is, you know, a chance he's got to take. Um, I think probably the other calls were, were pretty reasonable there. Yeah, I mean, there are some new names in this squad. Um, Miller, it's not actually a, a sort of massively radical jump off into the future. Um, we talked about the, the the fact that sort of Wokes, Wood and, and Robinson will, will be kind of the senior bowlers. Um, Craig Overton's there. Saki Mahmood has obviously played limited overs internationals uh, to, to reasonable success. Um, the one player that, uh, that is a bit of a bolter and who... who perhaps would have benefited from sharing a changing room with James Anderson and Stuart Broad for a few weeks is Matthew Fisher, um, Yorkshire seamer who has long been a sort of coming thing, um, having debuted at 15 almost 10 years ago, but has, has, you know, has had so many injuries to deal with that it's been hard to really gauge where he is along that, uh, on the spectrum there. Um, and then there's there'll be a, a debutant at the top of the order, it seems, with Alex Lee's the man to uh, replace both Hamid and Burns, who, who have been summarily dropped. But otherwise, I mean, the, the party is full of fairly familiar uh, names. Uh, ben Folks is back. Um, those Some of the batting candidates that Valkyrie mentioned there will sort of face off. Johnny Best, though, still in the mix. Um, and Matt Parkinson has been included, presumably to, to bowl in the nets again uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, Jack Leach. Um, picked if they do indeed want to spin it, although Paul Collingwood might be more open uh, to that than, than Chris Silverwood was. Yeah, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in so many minds about what on earth this squad is. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not deeply impressed by it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I mean I've obviously I touched on Wokes up the top and Craig Overton, exactly that. I mean, Craig Overton is, 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 a, is a good trier, a, a good toiling sort of spear-carrying bowler who, who, again, hasn't really had an opportunity to to emerge out of Broadmanson's shadow, which I suppose is part of the reason why he's still in there. So, um, but again, you know, is is he is he all that? So he was found out in the in the 20, 2017 ashes, let alone let alone more recently. So, uh, um, curious. I'm, I'm pleased to see Matt, Matt Fisher there. I mean, as 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 you say, I mean, there he is, a guy who's who's been been there or thereabouts for an awfully long time. Um, so many injuries and, and, and lack of opportunity, but uh, the danger, I suppose, you know, ends up becoming another Ashley Cowan. Remember him, um, you know, go out to the Caribbean. I certainly do remember Ashley Cowan, but, you know. <laughs> go to the Caribbean, I, not really get a look at That's the main reason I went to Chelmsford most weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the, one, the one interesting one for me is, is, is Milan. I mean, there was, a, there was a golden opportunity to dress up Milan's absence um, because obviously, you know, it, midway through that Hobart test his wife gave birth to a premature baby obviously a massive uh, you know a really interesting sort of um example of the sacrifice that that has had to happen during this this lockdown era you know here's, here's a guy who's the other side of the world and you know pretty much out of family contact uh, at, at that at that critical juncture in his family life but no mention of it in any in any um any talk about his omission it's it purely on on his playing ability, when you know you thought they might say, well, you know, he, he has he has family 
family um, matters to deal with and um, he could be in, in the frame further down. And there he was after two tests. He looked like the best thing that England had, aside from Joe Root. Um, he fell off a cliff a little bit, but now he's not just fallen off a cliff. He's fallen so far off the cliff that that number three berth has gone to Root. It's, you know, it, it does beg a question about what England saw or didn't see in his contribution within the dressing room. Uh, you know, it's not it's not the first time the mustering has been made about Milan and, and dressing room politics. And likewise, Rory Burns, he got binned off, it seems, uh, there was some some question about whether he was contributing enough within the dressing room. He was, he was a bit sullen after that first ball duck, apparently. And, and you know, he's a he's a he's a championship winning captain at Surrey. So you'd have thought uh, he could have been a contender to take over from Root had he played his cards right. But clearly, he hasn't. He hasn't just been uh, omitted from key matches during the Ashes, but now pretty much out on his ear, full stop. It, it, it would it would take a remarkable turn of events, I think, for him to get another look in. Uh, given given the build-up that he got going into the Ashes, as you know, he's probably the best thing that we had since Joe Roos at the top of the order. Uh, that was his chance. He blew it. Um, but, you know, there are so many, and we haven't even mentioned Josh Butler. You know, <laughs> we, got, we got this far in, and Josh Butler is just an afterthought within within this this squad of um, uh, of so many mixed messages. I mean, what are they trying to say? They're really trying to say that Chris Wokes and, and Craig Overton are the future of English cricket in a way that James Anderson Joss Butler and co are not. I mean, I I don't know quite. It feels like there's an awful lot of hedge betting going on here. And, um, you know, or, or bet hedging. Yes, well, I, I'm betting my hedge. It's going to get. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Strauss calls it options. I, I'm, I'm, tem- I'm tempted to call it something a little bit less less indecision. Indecision, precisely that. <laughs> Well, uh, Ben Folks being uh, one of the best wicketkeepers in the world, the country, the cosmos is uh, uh, pretty much agreed on, I think. And uh, he will get a, a long-awaited uh, second or third crack at, at, at taking that spot. Um, one thing that is certain is that Joe Root is staying as captain, maybe because of a dearth of, of other candidates. Um and Valpy Paul Collingwood is going to get a chance to sort of audition for the job. Uh, he's already had a go with the, the T20 side uh, and, and arguably might be a better fit if they were going to split the roles for, for, for a white ball coaching position, given his uh, sort of pedigree uh, as a captain, England's first uh, ICC title winning captain um, back as a player. Um I mean, the, 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 the usual suspects' names are going to start floating into the conversation. We've already mentioned Justin Langer, uh, heaven forbid. Uh, Gary Kirsten was at, uh, touting himself for the job uh, before Chris Silverwood had even lost it, before the Ashes were even over. Um, people like Jason Gillespie, um, Ricky Ponting's name I, I've seen dropped in. Uh, I'm not sure he'd be that interested. But um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, this, I mean, the, the Collingwood era uh, it might be a brief one. Uh, but he he will get a chance to, to show what he can do with the players, um, and we will see how Root is going to approach captaincy uh, in this his well, well kind of fifth fifth year in the role now. Yeah, I think Collingwood, I suppose, made choice uh, made uh, sense as a choice for the interim role, given you know he was there already with the white ball side. Um, you know, it's his chance to, I suppose, audition um, for the role. I think um, Andrew Strauss said yesterday his chance to see, you know, what it's all about and, and that kind of thing. I mean, um, that sort of made sense. There was talk of um, Alex Stewart possibly 
coming in in that interim role, Richard Dawson from um, the Young Lions, who's already out in the Caribbean doing that interim role. I wonder if um, Stuart might be better suited to the permanent managing director's role, um, you know, given his move into administration at, at Surrey. Um, yeah, I, I wonder about that and if, if he'd be interested or be a good candidate for that. I, I, I think that could be a good option for them. Um, but, yeah, I suppose uh, Miller's sort of been talking and I agree about the, the side in some ways not making a lot of sense Collingwood sort of makes sense as a, as an interim coach um, for now. It is that continuity. It is a you know a chance to take a look at him and him to take a look at it the job. Um, but yeah, some of the other names really interesting. I mean, with Kirsten, I think the fact that he went for it and lost out to Chris Silverwood, I would have thought that would count against him. Um, he was sort of yeah. He, he You're coming that, second to Chris Silverwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean he he, he clearly you know still wants it all you know he, he did you know when it was more before it was being um you know confirmed that silver was gone but i think that would surely have to sort of count against him um i think langer would be good but i i don't know that he would do it um uh i mean i suppose only if he could wear his baggy green i'm sure <laughs> Exactly, that's it, right? He's he's <laughs> such a patriot. Would you know? Would he ever do it? But then, you know, he he sent that um, response to you know the 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 talk of him resigning and and why and and that kind of thing. And it was quite a you know I think it, it showed some class. But, you know, but he was quite you know quite forcefully defending himself after you know what had been said about his style and and you know him justifying not wanting to go for only another six months um so i mean there i it was a fairly classy response but was he it sounded pretty angry to me and was he angry enough to then go and coach the enemy we, we shall see um but then how would they respond to him as well i mean he he is completely different to, to chris silverwood by all accounts um so if they want to go in a completely different direction and if that's what's seen as as needed well you know he's a good option um yeah so that that will be really interesting um to to see what happens there yeah, if anything at all um yeah ponting's been bandied about again um yeah as a name i'm i'm not sure you know if i guess the same sort of questions come up about him in terms of would he want to go and coach england um but yeah you know if the opportunity and the money and you know all of that yeah. was there yeah maybe so yeah i mean at the moment the the biggest and best name being bandied about is is langer and, and you know it would make for a very very interesting story well he's certainly available um miller the other sort of um theme or you know one of one of the uh survivors of all this really um has been has been tom harrison um mm -hmm. who who kind of cast himself as the saviour last week uh, you know the, the one man to, to stick around and uh, uh, and right all the wrongs albeit that he's been in charge uh, for the last seven years when uh, most of those wrongs were presumably being perpetrated but um uh he yes he he is he is uh, sticking around uh, and will presumably be uh, involved in appointing the next managing director and, and um setting the course of uh uh, well, the the red ball reset is is uh, the the sort of vogue term. Strauss has called for for bold radical calls there, and he sort of preempted that by boldly radically leaving out uh, England's uh, highest uh, wicket taking new ball pair. But um, 
this will obviously end up in 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 boardrooms and committee rooms and 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 probably much discussed. But uh, what are the what are the immediate sort of uh, runes looking like for the for the county championship and 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 the test revival? It's a very good question because I mean the ECB is is in basically paralyzed at the moment. It, it's got it hasn't got a, it hasn't got a, a chairman because um in what more left in high dudgeon last year when basically he he balls up the, the county championship he offended pretty much every county going and then there was that Pakistan issue as well which was just a just a diplomatic car crash. So he 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 left which means the chief executive Tom Harrison is now basically uh, he he's unanswerable to no one. He, you know he's sitting there um, just twiddling his thumbs, waiting to take his bonus and then sail off into the sunset. I mean, look, I, I want to be, I'll come, I'll come to the wider, wider implications in, in a moment, but I, I, I wouldn't mind being uh, charitable to Tom Harrison um, because I think he has done some good things in his, in his seven years in, in, the, in the job. First and foremost, you know, he was there from the outset when they rebooted the white ball game to such an extent that England won the World Cup, which, you know, in terms of overseeing a short-term project, that, that was flawless, and you can't argue with that. Uh, obviously, the hundred is a separate issue, uh, but in midway through that 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 whole thing, of course, he oversaw the the rights deal as well, which frankly is what he's brought in for. Um, you know, he's a former IMG executive, former former um, uh, Star Sports ESPN executive. So you know, he he knew the, the the ECB knew what they were getting with Tom Harrison was a guy who could who could get TV companies to write big checks. And they wrote a 1.1 billion pound check uh, back in 2017. So, you know, he did a good job in those two isolated instances. But 2017 is a bloody long time ago now. And what has he done since? He has been twiddling his thumbs over the hundreds, um, offending everyone left, right and centre with, with, his, with his slightly um, uh, dogmatic insistence that it's the only way only way to go. Uh, he didn't speak to the media for two years, pretty much, um, in the midst of the, the wranglings that, um, that went on to create the 100. Therefore, you know, he, he, he put a lot of noses out of the joint, you know, we're pretty precious people in the media, but it does, you know, we do have a purpose sometimes, which is to hold account to powerful people. And if the powerful person will not be put himself forward to be held account, um, you know, what's, what's he there for? <laughs> you know, no, now no one can hold him to account because there's no chairman to, to, to be on his bike. Um, and more recently, of course, there's been the, the, the racism issue. And look, again, I think that Tom Harrison had his heart in the right place from the outset. Uh, right from the moment, I did a piece for Wisdom uh, back in 2015. Uh, that was right the early days of, of, um, of Harrison's uh, attempted reboot of the board. And it was basically looking at the Asian question within English cricket, the failure to bring through young Asian players. It was something that Harrison was across right from the outset, to be fair to him. Talking to him then and the efforts the ECB were trying to make to change their ways, he tried. He tried. He was, he was talking about diversity and inclusion back in the day when pretty much no one knew what it was, when frankly everyone now understands, has a grasp of it now, which is, which is progress. But the trouble is, he was talking about it in a, in a very sort of boardroom heavy jargonistic way right from the outset and he's carried on talking in a boardroom heavy jargonistic way right through a crisis so much so that he ends up appearing before um, the parliament four times I think it is and each of those four times he has tried to talk in boardroom jargon and he's been blown out of the water by a by a bunch of MPs let's forget let's not forget a bunch of MPs who are perhaps the most abject representatives of this country we have ever ever had 
and, and you know, Tom Harrison has been made to look amateurish by a bunch of MPs, part of whom are answerable to Boris Johnson as the most amateurish prime minister we've ever had. I mean, it's not a good look. It is a terrible look. And he is doing it time and time again. Every time he appears before that select committee, he looks more and more flustered and less and less in command of his brief. So we've got a problem here. We've got a, we've got a, we've got a game in paralysis, a game that needs a reboot, and a chief executive who basically is digging his heels in saying, I'm, 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 not, I'm not going to run away. Uh, Tom, we're not trying to make you run away. Um, we, we're asking you politely, can you, can you just accept, you know, accept your seven years have had some moments, but right now I think you've run out of, run out of road, frankly. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to reboot, want to reset, someone's got to be accountable. You, know, you, you reach a stage where pretty much we've got a director of cricket is accountable, got, got a, a chief coach, a head coach is accountable, an assistant coach is accountable, um, two greatest England bowlers accountable, six other players who are on the, on the Ashes tour are accountable. Um, the one, well, two guys, Joe Root, but you know, he's got, he's got mitigation because he happens to be the only guy from back. And Tom Harrison, <laughs> two sore thumbs in the accountability stakes right at the moment. Um, it it begs, begs several questions, frankly. Uh, anyway, what was your original question? Well, about <laughs> well, well uh, yeah. How, how are we going to solve that one for your next trick? Uh, <laughs> well, well, the trouble is, this is my point, though. We're, we, have got a, we have got a situation whereby we've got a, got a, a, a dead, dead duck sitting in the, in the only position that's, that is an executive position at the ECB, a permanent executive position, because we've got interims left, right, and centre. And you know, Lord knows Andrew Strauss is doing his damnedest, but he's made it clear. He's not here for a long time. He's here for a good time. He's going to he's going to he's going to rip things up, and then then go back and look after his kids because you know we all know what he's been through. He's got bigger fish to fry. But right at the moment, he's doing all of the executive work that Tom Harrison, frankly, has not been able to do um, for the past. Well, I've been chair for three, four years, I'd say, basically ever since the hundred became his only obsession. Um, everything else has has gone gone to gone to seed, frankly. I was just going to say um, also on Harrison, I think. He was instrumental in getting that 2020 English International Summer to happen. Very um, fair, you know, very fair. In, but at what cost? So obviously it had to happen to prevent this ginormous black hole they were going to fall into. Wonderful. But as a result, we've got this tour to West Indies, which is payback and rightly so but it has to be it had to be sort of squeezed in and now we're in this situation that we're in we had a Pakistan tour that should have been there as payback for them coming over and didn't happen and that was a you know, complete schmozzle you know will hopefully happen sometime in the future but we've as a result we've now got all these matches and series sort of backed up and that's only two series but in a crammed 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 international schedule you've got a side that has played probably more international matches than any other over the past 18 months, two years. And they said at the time this isn't sustainable. It's still not sustainable and there is no end in sight. It's great for us. It's great for the fans. But for the players, you, you can see, like, it, it's, you know, it cracks have formed, cracks have you know, widened, you know, careers have probably ended, you know, amid all of this. So you know, not laying that all at his feet, he, you know, he did what he had to do at the time, but it, it's worth considering that that single-minded must-get-this-season-to-happen has got knock-on effects now that we're still seeing. No, it's, it's very fair. I, I was remiss not to, not to mention that among his achievements because it, it, it was an achievement to make that summer happen, although... 
again, I, I would argue that the guy who really made that happen, Steve, Steve Elworthy, who, you know, Harrison had to sign it off, obviously, but Steve Elworthy was, was the real mover and shaker. But yeah, it, 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 it is, I, I do remember the end of that summer, um, the, the ECB had a, had a sort of self-congratulatory Zoom call where, whereby all, there was a roll call of all the heroes, a bit like the last half an hour of Lord of the Rings, frankly. It was just everyone, everyone sort of patting each other on the back for uh, a far too long an ending of an of a emotional and draining summer. Um, it, yeah, they, they, they kind of got to the end and breathed a big sigh of relief. Ah, we're through this. And frankly, they haven't really got moving since. I mean, you know, obviously there were, there were mass layoffs 62 redundancies um, as a consequence of the cost cutting that was required uh, in, in, in the midst of, of, the, of the credit crunch that English cricket un underwent. Uh, and again, that reflects very badly on, on, on Harrison in the current climate with him, you know, basically ticking down the clock uh, before taking his share of a 2.1 million pound bonus pot. <laughs> you know, that, that could pay for an awful lot of redundant staff that could pay for an awful lot of, um, of streaming. In fact, you know, the ECB, ECB mm. one, another bit of a time bomb looming, uh, you know, they've encouraged all their, 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 their grassroots clubs to invest in streaming. Uh, and, you know, the, it was all a great thing. And, and NV does a great job in, in running the, the county streaming. And now suddenly all of these clubs have been charged 500 quid a pop by a new, new, uh, new charge being introduced this week. Um, you know, again, this is, these are issues that, that, the ECB, frankly, needs to be able to address, and that the ECB in the current climate uh, isn't really fit to address anything. Uh, there's been a lot of lot of complaint that it's too big for purpose over the over recent years. You know, back in the day, the TCCB got got a lot of criticism for for being too narrow focused. Literally, the, the Test and County Cricket Board it had no interest beyond the, the the aspects of the professional game. The ECB took over as this sort of catch-all all-encompassing all we we run the entire game for the benefit of all and now you know as they get picked apart in parliaments each week for yet more crimes against accountability um showing showing perhaps that it's not as fit for purpose anymore as it should be um anyway we could we could bang on about this for weeks i'm sure there are other hot topics we need to move on to there are going to be some lively parish council meetings. That's that's for sure. Uh, of, of on the subject of, of sort of Strauss being the the Deus Ex Machina and all this, he is of course the uh, well was. I don't know if he still is the cricket committee uh, head of the cricket committee, which um, signed off the report, Giles's report to Harrison, which led to everyone being sacked, and has also made recommendations on the. Uh, future changes to the structure and so on, uh, um, uh, which will doubtless be debated endlessly um, and we might have something in place by the time the next uh, tour to Australia uh, comes around uh, back to right then back to the back to the actual cricket although that doesn't make for pretty reading either um, not been a vintage winter for anyone choosing to follow England's fortunes in Australia uh, the combined scoreline across men's women's uh, tours plus the 18 fixtures reading 14 nil to the uh, the host nation women's ashes uh, ended with a 12-4 scoreline uh, despite, uh, as Valkyrie mentioned, the encouraging start in, in in the T20, the one that wasn't washed out. Obviously, that's what England got a couple of points from that, uh, and then and then the test went down uh, to the final ball uh, on the final day. But um, 
it uh, yeah it was it was a bruising um tour for the women as well the, they were whitewashed in the odis that finished with an eight wicket thrashing in melbourne with more than 13 overs to spare uh, valkyrie this hasn't exactly set england up for their world cup defense no, and I think if you look at those um, one-day international um, performances by England there too, I mean, they were bowled out for 178, 129 and 163 in those three one-dayers and it, it just proved to be not good enough. So how they managed to turn it around, albeit going into a period of 10 days hard isolation in New Zealand. There was a lot said, I think, in the build-up to the Ashes about how difficult um, England's preparation had been. Um, they, like the men, you know, had torrential rain to deal with. You know, uh, they had um, one staff member had COVID, but they managed to contain that quite well. But they had to go into sort of a bit of a, a harder sort of lockdown type situation within their um their accommodation than they perhaps had expected so there was a bit going on in the lead up and a lot was sort of talked about um with regards to that going in now they've been thrashed by Australia they're about to go into 10 days hard isolation in New Zealand before trying to pick themselves back up for for their World Cup defense yeah it, it's all those off-field off factors, you know, not to mention the on-field thrashings. Um, yeah, the, it, it just doesn't add up to a, a greater uh, lead into the tournament. Um, the, before the series, there was a sense that they were a bit undercooked uh, because they'd had to sort of train uh, almost on their own or, or with the help of family members while they did this safe living <clears throat> back in the UK before flying out to Australia. Heather Knight mentioned after the third ODI that there was sort of mental fatigue setting in. Um, so, I mean, clearly the happy point in the middle has been, uh, you know, perhaps that was the test match where they they really did um, have a good crack at, at chasing down uh, 250 on the, on the final day, um, uh, Miller. But, uh, uh, I mean, th th there are lots of mitigating circumstances uh, this world cup has been moved by a year uh quarantining in new zealand managed isolation quarantine uh, miq as it uh, catchily known it is you know as hard well probably harder than anywhere else in the world uh, new zealand's uh, restrictions being what they are um but the, you know the bare bones are that very few players are coming into this tour in form um the the, the the demands on time away from home, time away from loved ones, you've already sort of touched on, they, they didn't get the same luxuries as the men. Uh, you know, it was a, a fantastic home campaign at home five years ago now that uh, when, when they when they won the World Cup. But um, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's looking like a tough ask to, to come back with that trophy. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, there, there, are, there are, you talk about mitigating circumstances for the men. And you can talk about them with knobs on for the women because look, this this their 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 issues are so over and above everything else that um that the teams have had to encounter this winter. As, as I mentioned earlier, they haven't had any of the luxury. They've not not got any of the sort of free pass that comes with being the money making side of English cricket. You know, they they they've got to go through an awful lot of hardship in a way. In, in a way, arguably, it sort of it harks almost back to the the original sort of pioneering spirit that women's cricket had to have, have back in the day. They had to buy their own kit and sew their own badge onto their blazers and, you know, abandon their kids at home for months on end to, to, to go on tours. You know, it's English cricket, English women's cricket has come an awful long way. And, you know, the ECB are never shy of bigging up, you know, Tom Harrison again was bigging up the hundred in, in, in Parliament the other day and talking about how 
how the, the access to the game is, is, is like it's never been before. That's all very well. But, you know, the, 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 the way in which the players have been looked after this winter is, I'm not convinced it's been brilliant. <laughs> you, know, you know, you only had to listen to um, Heather Knight's uh, very emotional interview she did after that, after that test match. You know, that was their one chance to really nail it. And they did pretty well. And Heather Knight herself uh, produced one of the greatest batting performances ever seen in women's cricket. Uh, to to single-handedly drag England into a position, but you know the, the emotion. In, yeah, she doesn't strike me as the as most naturally emotional uh, player I've ever ever encountered. But the emotion was 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 tangible in that interview. They they've been through the mill, and they're about to go through the mill even more as defending champions with all of these problems and you know the the hard quarantine that's uh, so hard. In fact, that I think uh, Australia and New Zealand have cancelled their T20 tour, the men's T20 tour next week. In fact, so you know they're. There, 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 are, there are things that things that you know, New Zealand gets a lot of credit for the way it, it reacted to to COVID and and you know getting rid of it and having getting out of lockdown earlier than everyone else. But there, there, there are there are factors within uh, within the, the borders of New Zealand that 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 doesn't make it a particularly friendly place to go to at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I I wish the team all the best. And you know, you had had Sarah Glenn this morning. Uh, the the news that that you know she was she was there originally as, as a traveling reserve and basically said you know what no thanks much as i'd like to go to a world cup um i'm not going to go through this i'm not going to put myself in a position whereby i'm 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 basically dragged around the country with next to no chance of playing any part in this tournament uh and you know wreck my mental health even further it, you know it was a brave decision from her and i applaud her for for making it and you know to 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 a degree, I applaud the ECB for for allowing her to pull out and, and, and you know being magnanimous about it. But you can't you can't dress it up as 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 ideal in any way, shape, or form. And you know the, again, it comes back to the original point. There's been a lot made about the, the women's game and the growth of the women's game. And you know to a, to a degree, the women's game is is almost used as a smokescreen for a lot of the failings of English cricket, even this winter. You know the Ashes, the women's Ashes, was as bad as close to competitive. Uh, relatively, as we've seen, um, but the ECB need to start putting a bit more heft behind their players if they if they want to ensure that uh, that you know they get the get the treatment they 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 they're starting to deserve. I think. Yeah, you do not... sort of. I think I, I'm just was going to um, follow up on what you're saying about the test. You do wonder what might have been had they won that test match because listen to them all talk. They came out as though feeling as though they had lost it, as opposed to you know done a great job to to save it um and you know Knight was wonderful Brunt was wonderful um Kate Cross and Sophie Eccleston to hold it together at the end there and sure like, I think it was they needed 45 off 10 overs with seven wickets in hand didn't manage to do it but you know those two you know lower order batters managed to salvage a draw and you know a lot of that you know comes down to as well you know not being able to sort of chase it down comes down to the lack of test matches that they play and to be able to hold their nerve in that situation having you know limited test match experience you know really was good but to them it just didn't feel that way they felt like they'd lost it and then you go into a one day series emotionally physically spent from you know that experience and you know that like you say you know they, they really were up against it so you know the one day is I think one was sort of you know closer than the scorecard looks the other two were pretty comprehensively won by Australia but yeah they they have had a, a lot to deal with and um yeah they've got to pick themselves back up again now 
um, and that World Cup squad, which was announced this morning, um, Valky, the, the 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 name I suppose uh, that, that jumps out is is Charlie Dean and, and her remarkable rise. Really, um, twelve months ago wasn't really on the radar. I mean, only debuted last summer, um, and she's let the head of, of people like Sarah Glenn, uh, Maddie Villiers, you know, as a sort of a spin bowler who can bat. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So at the end of that um, quickly cobbled together West Indies series that um, England managed to play at the end of 2020, you know, we were talking about their spin stocks being really healthy in um, Sophie Eccleston, Sarah Glenn and Maddie Villiers. And now, you know, Charlie Dean's, um, you know, coming to the mix. She um, debuted during that New Zealand series last summer. And yeah, clearly, I think impressed Heather Knight, impressed, you know, a lot within the England setup. I think um, Knight described her as quite fine. Um, leading into the Ashes when um, when the Ashes squad was announced. So um, she took a couple of wickets in the Test match um, and, uh, yeah, sort of played a couple of the, the one-dayers. But um, I, th- I think they certainly see her as a, a prospect, you know, worth exposing to, you know, this type of competition now and building her experience. And she did perform really well against New Zealand during the England summer. So, um, yeah, she it'd be really interesting to to see how she goes and they, they clearly rate her and to, to sort of give her some experience and then you know Maddie Villiers is one of the the traveling reserves um and Emma Lamb was the other one selected so she got um a couple of 50s and a 48 I think for uh England women a against the Australia race so she came in um for that last one day um and I think she came in um to open instead of Lauren Winfield Hill Mm. Lauren has been chosen as well as Emma Lamb, so they've given themselves a, a little bit of, um, you know, bolstered their their batting a little bit there, given themselves an option. So, yeah, those were the two sort of new faces. Otherwise, sort of were, were no big surprises, but it'll be really interesting to see how they slot in and, and how they go. Mm, yeah, Winfield Hill be, being dropped there at the end of the uh, series was notable, given that England have clearly invested in a fair bit in her and, and Beaumont as being the, the opening pair again, sort of harking back to that 2017 World Cup. Um, I mean, Miller, just to, uh, you glance at the, the series averages and, and contributions and so on, and, and you do feel that that a lot rests on, on Heather Knight and Catherine Brunt still, despite the, the, the some of the new blood that England have brought in over the past year or two. Well, yeah, I mean, Catherine Brunt, I mentioned Heather Knight's innings the other day, but, but, but Catherine Brunt's, um, I mean, you know, you talk about James Anderson's longevity. Here's Brunty, who's, who's been around since literally the dawn of time. I mean, there, there's some pictures, pictures, pictures of her just, um, you know, looking, well, I think, I can't remember how old she was. I wouldn't want, wouldn't want a second guess, but, but uh, you know, she... I think she I was 20 in, in, in that 2005 Ashes uh, yes, was, series. So, uh, so, so. Yeah. But, so she, I mean, she's a little bit younger than James Anderson, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, she, she's 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 magnificent. I mean, I, I I've got so much so much time for for for, for the, the the bullishness she brings to every every facet of her game. Um, will never back down. Never apologizes for being being gobby in the field and and, and giving giving it out in a way that uh, sometimes attracts uh, a bit of bit of bit of raised eyebrows. But I, I don't. Yeah, go, go 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 for your life. It, it, she's, she's magnificent, and yeah, that that bowling performance in the in the Test match was 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 due reward. I mean, I think she'd taken a last her previous five. I think she thought it was sixteen years since she'd taken a five for a Test. I don't think it's quite that long, but she certainly did take a sixty take take a five for sixteen years ago. Um, so, I mean, it is. 
you do you do wonder what would what, where they'd be without it frankly it's um they, they, they haven't quite got the resources coming through that uh, i mean i i i hope i hope that uh, uh, she can just crack on <laughs> forever frankly i mean you know if it, Hope she's not looking over her shoulder at what happened to what, what's happened to Jimmy at the moment. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, want to I be the selector. She, <laughs> no, I just love what she brings with the bat as well. Like her bowling was immense, like you said in, in that test match, and she really, you know, was was all over it for for the Ashes. But just what she brings with the bat when she, you know, when she's coming in at number seven down there and she's had a couple of really reliable knocks you know over the English summer um against India and New Zealand and yeah when she comes in after they've had you know a bit of a collapse or whatever you think oh you know they'll be right Bronte's there you know so I think she she yeah she offers so much as an all-rounder she, yeah like like you say you know let's hope she can go forever I wouldn't want to be the selector telling her that uh, uh, she was being left out. Let's put it that way. Um, Milo, we, we're pretty much out of time, but just a word um, before we go. The uh, Given the prevailing mood, it, it perhaps shouldn't be surprising that the kids failed to end 24 years of hurt uh, in, in Antica on Saturday. Yeah, it's, it's no surprise. India are a magnificent outfit, and it was, it was a pretty one-sided uh, final, in all honesty, even though a four-wicket defeat was gave, was good credit to the kids because they you know they were up against it from the outset. They fought bloody hard with the bat to get get a defendable total. They fought bloody hard with the ball, but not quite hard enough. Um, but what what should be said, you know, again within the mood of doom and gloom, as you mentioned, is that these guys were kids. They were 12, 11, 12 years old when when the last red ball, the white ball reset for English cricket happened um, in twenty fifteen. Uh, they have grown up watching Owen Morgan's team being absolute world beaters, and there are some future world beaters within those ranks. I mean, um, they, 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 you know, I think of Rian Ahmed, the the, the 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 leg spinner who was who was bowling out Ben Stokes over eleven in the nets. A great story. Uh, he, he's one example. Um, uh, George Bell um, playing some outrageous shots in the semi-final against um, against Afghanistan. You know, looking like a mini Joss Butler. Um, there's there's an awful lot to uh, be excited about in those ranks. Whether they can translate any of those techniques to red ball cricket is another thing entirely. But um, you certainly can't argue that um, they have seen the the zeitgeist they've grown up with in the past six years uh, as being a white ball zeitgeist in English cricket, and um, they've been a credit to the success of that team. And whether you want to want to turn that around and, and say that's proof that the red ball game is doomed. Um, you know that, that that's another thing entirely. But all you can say is they they've had heroes uh, in the past six years to emulate, and they've done damn well to to emulate them. And you know that's that's the challenge, I suppose, in this Red Bull reset. Can England find enough heroes within the team that they've tried to reboot? And 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 again, that's that's something that that um, Strauss harked back to. Just final word on that to bring it all back to full circle. Um, Strauss did hark back briefly to that 2009 tour of the Caribbean when he was captain in the wake of the KP Moore's affair and uh, basically the reason that England went from zero to heroes and becoming number one team in the world two years later was that they basically looked within themselves they 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 were challenged in their darkest hour you are better than this prove you are better than this get better than this and that's pretty much what Strauss has done with this team can can the guys who've been liberated perhaps from the shadow of the big guns can they find depths they didn't previously have to tap into and become a team to be proud of again? And that, and if they, if so, who knows? There could be a rebel reset and, and kids further down the line who remember 
the, the, the dark days of 2022 and what happened next. I think, yeah, I want a bit of that. I wouldn't mind being, being a test cricketer. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? It's all part of the grand uh, design, the inspiring generations tag. Um, oh, God, I, I mean, oh, that, that, that tagline really annoys me. It should, it should be such a good tagline, shouldn't it? It just really winds me up. Probably because we've been watching too many parliamentary feeds. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a complicated picture, picture um, as always. On on that um, slightly more optimistic note, we will attempt to draw a Straussian line under things. Don't worry, you two will both still be in contention for selection. Um, <laughs> England head off to the Caribbean in a fortnight's time, having been given a reboot up the backside. We'll be back, of course, to see how that goes. Until then, uh, my thanks to Miller and Valkyrie and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPN for Info.com.